that warrior that you know fights from the back and like hides i'm gonna be the first guy out in the battle and i think it's 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 not competitive with each other or against each other it's with each other like what can we go do how big is this passion that we have collectively as a group to go you know take on the world the empathy comes from i think it's team captain sports I, you know you look at michael jordan i don't know if you've seen that documentary it's it's incredible his leadership dance. his drive is insane when he needs to take the ball he'll take the ball and score but he's also he wants to take his teammates with him and welcome to innovation and leadership where i interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers elite special operations soldiers startup ceos who sold their companies for billions of dollars pro athletes hollywood filmmakers really as many different kinds of experts as i can the whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Evan Walker, CEO at Route.com. If you missed part one, please go back and listen to how they've grown to over a $1.25 billion valuation in under three years, how their app works, tracking, and uh why there's you know 35 million customers that have, that have signed up for Route. Evan, I, I want to talk about this number for a minute. When you think about that type of an accomplishment, can, can you maybe give people some background of how uncommon it is? Like, can you talk about like the slacks of the world and and like the, this rate of growth? And you know, people are used to the news of like, oh yeah, another startup grew really fast. But what you've gotten is like really exceptional. Can you give people like a little bit of a flavor? Yeah, in, in relation to evaluation, right? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think if you can produce enough effective ROI for investors quick, you can turn that capital over fast. And then, you know, uh, and kind of get these valuation step-ups. I think we're one of a handful of companies that has kind of achieved unicorn status in, in that, you know, sub three-year market, putting us with like Pinterest and Airbnb, a few of these folks. There's, there's certainly been more of them the last couple of years, but it's still pretty unique territory. Our strategy wasn't necessarily maximize the valuation of the business as fast as we as we can. It was more about how do we grow this platform, get investors to believe in what we're doing, to be able to get more resources, essentially, you know, more funding to be able to scale the product faster. And that ended up just kind of resulting in higher EV or enterprise value. And, and, and so much of that was strategic. A lot of it was brute force, like, hey, we're going to run as fast as we possibly can and build and sell and do all these things. But there was a lot of strategy there too. What is the right timing? If, if I think you know, if entrepreneurs try and raise rounds, all entrepreneurs are going to think their company is more valuable than than it is, including me. Always, all of us do that. And I think if 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 you if you try to do that too early, in between the wrong like product phasing or maybe the revenue wasn't you know over these kind of magic milestones like 10 million ARR, for instance, you you could have some timing issues. And so we we got really deliberate about looking when is the right time and place for us to raise money. Well, we just finished this product. And if we just finished this and we try and raise money, the first thing that an investor is going to ask is, how's it going? And if we say, we don't know, that's a really bad time to raise money. If we finish a product and they ask that question, we say, it's going fantastic. Here's the results. Even if they're early, awesome. The more data, the better. So like we are really deliberate about raising money in these in these kind of phases of route where we broke 10 million ARR and the product was out with enough traction. We said, great, now's the time. And we didn't wait to that to happen. It was just kind of like, hey, we think we're gonna do this around let's say March or whatever the timing was. And thankfully and luckily, like we just 
work to make sure that happened in March. Um, so there's enough momentum built around, you know, kind of uh, going out and running a process. I could talk about fundraising all day, by the way. So <laughs> feel free to feel free to cut me off. But, you know, we, we got really deliberate in raising those cycles and it, it allowed us to raise more money faster, more money faster, increase the enterprise value, which only could have been done with traction. If we didn't have the traction, none of that would have been possible. But we just got a lot of traction really quick because of some of these other things we talked about. And uh, that resulted in us just turning money over faster, increasing the valuation along the way. You know, well, congrats on accomplishing that. I think my next question, I, I feel like maybe we need to have you back on. We'll just do a fundraising show. You know, you look at you look at these investors. You got, you know, venture groups like early investors of Amazon, Madrona, you know, Riot Ventures, Banner Ventures, you know, from us at Greystoke Investments, you know, we we like guys like Barry Sternlich who've done amazing things over at Starwood and you, you get Absolutely. Jaws Capital of his, right? I'm interested if you have advice for entrepreneurs who are thinking about fundraising and they're getting to these levels where maybe they can start to have conversations with investors of this type of credibility. Can you talk about how you approach it differently when you're talking to a uh, venture capitalist where it's the funds money versus, you know, you've got backing from, you know, CEOs and founders and executives from Venmo and Squarespace and Zillow and Flexport. Can you talk about those two communities and how you speak to them differently? Absolutely. You know, we, we were pretty deliberate about who we were talking to, what, at what stage. This may not, may, may not be the right playbook for everybody. I know people have certainly gone to the Valley sooner than we did. When we raised our seed stage round, we wanted to make sure we actually didn't go to the Valley. We're, you know, Utah-based company. We wanted to have Utah roots. We wanted to embrace that local Utah community. The check size was Utah check size, which are, you know, getting exceedingly bigger uh, by the minute. But like, you know, kind of, we raised 1.3 million. That's right in Utah strike zone for a seed fund. And we didn't want to... Um, and, you know, it, being at Utah, I, I don't care what anybody says, you are at a disadvantage to go to the Valley. It's getting better, especially, you know, because everything's done over Zoom now. <clears throat> but we're at a disadvantage in these secondary markets to go into the Valley early on before they've ever heard of you and say, who the heck are you guys? You know, because we're not three guys like sleeping out of the back of our cars at a startup on, you know, on Sand Hill Road. And and they all look for that. And so it's it's just part of how the game works. We So we, we are very deliberate about our, our seed round. Let's do that. And then let's look at these other options. I guess the two different audiences between like the family office investor uh, investors and the more institutional, like traditional VC, and then, you know, putting founders and CEOs in there as well. Founders and CEOs like myself, when I invest in a business, it's more about, do I believe this person can pull it off? And are they passionate? Are they going to go work their butt off and actually try and make this happen? Does this person hate to lose as much as I hate to lose? And so, you know, I, I speak to to founders and CEOs that way, letting them know like who we are uh, as an executive group, who I am as a CEO, what our DNA looks like, why we're passionate about what we're, what we're building. And then numbers second, I think VCs, it's kind of the opposite of that. It's like numbers first, show me what you've done. It makes sense. You know, they have LPs they need to report to you and they don't want to make the wrong investments. And so they're very quant driven. And we, you know, we needed to mature our data very quickly. We've raised over $300 million now for the business in, in three years. And our data needed to mature along with that very, very quick to go from a $1.3 million round to $200 million round. So we had a, you know, data level maturity and Tableau is what we use for a BI system. All these systems had to like get very advanced, very quick. Can we talk about that for one second? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, why did you choose Tableau versus the competitors? Tableau was more native for us for Salesforce. We had some resident experts on, on staff. We we're actually using Metabase, which is a great product for free. We started there, loved it. That's a, we felt that was a fantastic product. The evolution for us as the company got bigger was to go into more advanced BI system that we could control. And that was Tableau. I think it, it works well with our tech stack as well. That was probably one of the biggest drivers. And then just, it's kind of, we, we looked at it as the kind of status quo of like, what would a world-class 
tech stack be? And that was Salesforce, Tableau, some of these tools that we're using that way. Yeah. So let's talk more about this, the, the founder space. You know, this is something that used to be, uh, well, it didn't used to command the kind of numbers it does now, but there's so many founders with such significant exits and are, are such credible sources of capital now, but also like that are bringing more than the money. I mean, there's, there's people doing funding rounds with no VCs, just, you know, exited founders and stuff and, and CEOs and stuff. And to me, it's interesting because it feels, and I'd be interested in your question. It feels more like the probability of it being founder friendly money increases. What do you think? Uh, the probability just in general of, of, of a yeah, I'm saying founder friendly money. Yeah. Like go to the VC versus going to oh, right. a founder for cash. Rate. There's like a, well, or at least there's just more empathy from the investor in that standpoint of like them being invested in, in you as a founder winning rather than just my money winning, even if we need to kick you out CEO so I can make my money. Absolutely. I would Do agree have, with that. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, you know, we've, we've been incredibly fortunate to have, have CEOs invested all the way from, I guess, actually like our angel round and there's, you know, entrepreneurs that invested. And then right after a seed round, we had one of our partners and founder CEO of a, of a local Utah business invested in the business. And I absolutely agree with that. There's like this passion and empathy behind, like, you guys understand what it takes to, to build a business. And so I think, you know, we've, we've, we've always actually looked for alignment. We're a little bit abstract that way where we'd rather have these relationships with our investors. That's not just a check. It's like, what are their value? I do believe that VCs can bring value. I also believe that a lot of them say they probably bring more value than they do in certain ways. And, and we've had some incredible VCs that, that have brought a lot of value in, but I think, you know, that, that founder empathy, like you're, like you mentioned, I, I don't know if it's a higher probability of, of closing around with that, but I think there's, you, you have a better support cast with people that actually understand what it takes to build a business as opposed to just a check, like, like to your point. Well, think about how many folks in, in VC or private equity, you know, they, they got an Ivy League education. They were at McKinsey for a while. Then they fit, went back to the MBA and then they were at Goldman or city or something like this for a while. And then they graduated to working for one of their customers who was at the fund and they made yeah. their way in. And, and, you know, how many of them have not ever had the anxiety of a, how are we going to make payroll on Friday? Oh yeah. You know? And it's interesting to me seeing the pressure on them of like, when you're the only game in town, you can be pretty demanding of yep. your terms and stuff. But now you look at pension funds, specifically Canadian pension funds who have a lot more flexibility, family offices and founders. And like, they're not the only game in town anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have Columbia University as an investor on this last round. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, money can come from, from anywhere and they're, they're a huge LP in many of these funds. And so- I think it's actually routes been a little threatening to people in that way that we have a lot of direct connections with their LPs, which kind of takes the value of what, you know, a lot of uh, VC funds do. And I think we learned that really early on, like our family office connections are incredibly deep. We know LPs just because we've been in the space for a while. You know, we're not those super young entrepreneurs that are just like, please help me navigate this world. We, we learned how to navigate it really quick. This is actually the first company I've ever raised money for, but a lot of the people that, that I had involved with this early on kind of showed me behind the curtain, if you will, of like actually where money is coming from and how it works. So we dug into that and that's probably a kind of a unique thing, I think, for for a startup as early as we are to, to raise from pension funds and LPs and family offices and founder CEOs that are actually writing bigger checks. To your point, I think it's a it's a pretty unique opportunity right now. If you can learn how to navigate it. Well, it's obviously a very valuable skill to understand. You know, I'm interested in in you as a person. When you think about the level of success you've achieved at 41, that's, you know, 99% of the world won't achieve by 81. 
right? What do you attribute that to? What do you think that you've done different in your career? It's a great question. My wiring was always a little bit different. I think, you know, when I was five years old, I had a business pulling candy through my neighborhood with two or three employees and I gave them 20% commission. I don't know why I didn't need money. It was just, it was a hobby, a sport, I guess, to see if I could sell something. And that turned into a full-fledged candy machine business. There's like 30 candy machines that made my dad drive me around and like put Tic Tacs and M&Ms and different things. And it was producing like a thousand or $2,000 a week. And I was like seven or eight years old at that point. Crazy. Just all quarters. I'd walk into a bank with just bagfuls of quarters, which is weird. So I think there's part of that, the, the wiring for whatever, whatever reason, I was just kind of wired that way. I think part of what, what can be learned, you know, maybe that was nature, nature and, and nurture, but it's just pure grit. The other layer on top of that is like, it, it's not like we started this and everything was perfect. There's been a lot of trial and error with different companies and just not taking no for an answer. I think most people, not I shouldn't say most people, but many people give up before and, and sometimes right before something actually happens. But if, if you see a brick wall, it's head first. You've got to go through the wall. You can't take no for an answer. You need to be hyper competitive, but also with empathy. Like if you look at- Can, can you talk about that balance actually? Yeah, Because absolutely. I've seen your scores, like your, your staff rating you. You yeah. know what I mean? And like, you're like in the top 5% of all companies rated for your size. So it, it would appear to me that you're navigating that balance beam well. Appreciate <laughs> that. I, I don't ever feel like I'm doing it well enough, but. Well, the, the data says you're doing a pretty good job. So I'm interested in this, like, you know, I've heard the way that people like Scott Porter or Bryant or folks talk about you when you're not around. And there's a lot of people with a high opinion of you. And sometimes that competitiveness or like that never quit can, can cause a lot of friction. Yeah. So I'm interested in like this, you know, the personal drive and the, you know, like, let's go for the gold. Let's not shoot for the bronze. Yeah. And, and then like, you know, by definition, oftentimes our staff don't necessarily aren't quite wired that way. And it's easy for us to, you know, maybe not have as much empathy naturally or, or, you know, like there's, there's, there's so many opportunities for friction and like, let's face it, like entrepreneurship is a high impact sport. Like it's a, it's a bumpy road. (laughs) So I I would love to know your personal philosophies on navigating that, that balance beam. I, you know, I, we, we always joked around when we started the business, we're like 300 Spartan warriors. I'm, I happen to be King Leonidas. I'm not going to be that, that warrior that, you know, fights from the back and like hides. I'm going to be the first guy out in the battle. And I think it's, it's, it's not competitive with each other or against each other. It's with each other. Like, what can we go do? How big is this passion that we have collectively as a group to go, you know, take on the world? The empathy comes from, I think it's team captain sports. I, you know, you look at Michael Jordan. I don't know if you've seen that documentary. It's, it's incredible. His leadership, dance. his drive is insane. When he needs to take the ball, he'll take the ball and score. But he's also, he wants to take his teammates with him. And it's a learned behavior. It's not fun being successful alone. And, you know, I knew when I started this company that I wanted an option plan. I wanted to make, you know, people successful along with me. I think on this last round, we created, don't quote me on this, but maybe 20 or 30 millionaires or something. That is so fun for me. I cannot even tell you because it's it's life-changing for so many people. And it makes all of the hard work worth it because they're coming along with you. It's just, it's not fun to be successful alone. I think that team captain kind of, I'm going into battle with you first though, kind of resonates through our company. I hope it does anyways. And when I speak to our, like through our all hands and I speak with our staff, there's this authenticity layer that we always try and strive for with myself and the business. It's like, I'm always going to be real with you. I'm always going to tell you if something's bad or good. And sometimes it's going to hurt. And I'm going to tell you when I mess up, we're just going to be very, very real with each other, get in the weeds of things. And this isn't to point fingers or blame. It's just to make ourselves better. And at the end of this conversation, we're going to merge out of this 
you know, swords in hand, 300, 300 Spartan warriors, us against the world, let's go take it on. And I think hopefully that's come through with the staff where it's like, Evan is willing to die in the battlefield for us and with us. I mean, I am in the weeds of this business, still every little nut and bolt, every single pixel that's in the app. And so I think people are just gravitated towards that where the company's big, but none of us and the executives have not relinquished like the actual grind that it takes to build the business. We're in that with them. And I, I've always tried to kind of lead from the front that way. Yeah. I'm interested, you know, being in business all these years, what do you feel like have been personal struggles you've had to overcome? Time management and balance and time management because it all goes to the business. And I think, you know, personal life balance, it's hard to say it's a struggle because I enjoy it so much, but I think there, there, I mean, the first couple of years of the business, there is no work-life balance. It's just work. If, if you want to win, forget about the balance throughout the window, it's not going to happen. And it shouldn't, you know, it's, it's to build something. If, if the desire is to build something as big as we've built or bigger, as fast as we built it or faster, it's got to be improperly balanced for the first couple of years. There's just no other way around it. I mean, we've been so heads down, knee deep in this. To your point, stealth mode just happened by accident because we just were too busy to, to you know, pull our, our, our heads up off the desk and like actually see what was going on and talk to the world about it. But there is a time and place for that. And, it, you know, the, the cat's out of the bag of what we're building. We need to go galvanize the world along with us now. But I think my personal struggle with that is, is maybe, you know, just kind of enough reflection to say, yeah, I, I should probably take a step back from just go, go, go mode and like enjoy the success a little bit along the way as well. I'm getting better at it, I, but I'm, I'm still not where I want to be. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a wiring thing, right? You know, we've had, in addition to a lot of like investment fund folks and lots and lots of entrepreneurs, we've, we've probably had an overrepresentation of special operations veterans okay. on the show. And the wiring is very similar to those real lead entrepreneurs, you know? It is. And it, it's kind of like, there's actually a really great book by, I think, Dr. Doug Bracken called Driven. And it's talking about how like, basically like Navy SEALs, Naval Special Warfare now is screen is screening for, do you have enough ADD to be allowed in the Navy SEALs? Interesting. Like that ability to, it's funny, it's called attention deficit disorder. But I feel like all of us who have that should be labeling everyone else creativity deficit disorder. <laughs> but but yeah. like, it's funny because with ADD, like whether you really have it or don't, I feel like all entrepreneurs have some of it. Okay? Yeah, but of like often what comes with it is that ability to hyper-focus. You know, like like I have a, I have a attention deficit on something boring. Yeah. <laughs> my my ability to endure boredom is pretty low. Yep. <laughs> but like the ability to hyper-focus is probably significantly above average, right? And so when you think about this struggle of like how to live now too, instead of just putting living off to the future, yeah. What are things that you tell yourself to to help you get you to do that? Things are so busy and hectic now with route and and the role that I'm in. I know that that continued pay as much as I've, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for, I guess, 26, seven years now. I can continue the fervor and the pace because I'm calloused to it in many ways. But I think like this is, this is more activity than I've ever had is, is crazy as I would have thought that would have been five years, 10 years ago. If you would have told me you're going to be even busier than you are now. I know, I just know that I won't be able to sustain that unless I do start balancing that out a little bit more. And, and I've definitely made attempts that I'm getting better at it this, this past like couple months, I would say, but it's to be able to sustain that drive, you've got to be able to turn the switch off. And I think to your point, like, I don't, I'm, I'm very binary that way. It's either the switch is fully on it's 110% or it's like 0% off. Just leave me on the beach. 
I don't want to do anything. I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> that will last about a day or two. And then I'm going to get incredibly bored. I'm going to want to go explore that city. I want to know everything about the city. I want to know the best restaurants and where to go. But for that, you know, one or two days, I want to be completely down and off. Yeah, I love it. By the way, what's one of your favorite beaches? I love Hawaii. I think Hawaii in general has the best beaches. There's a there's a, a beach on the North Shore. I, I should say the Kona side of the Big Puna Beach. Just absolutely amazing. It's beautiful, beautiful beach. So that's that's got to be the top of the list there. <laughs> that's fun. Do you surf? A little bit. Probably not enough to say I'm a surfer, but like I like to get out and pretend I can do it. I, I'm interested as you as you think about your future. Right, route is on this rocket ship, and as you evaluate, like, okay, do I, you know, is this what I'm going to do for the next twenty something years, like Jeff Bezos? Is this something I'm going to do for X number of years and then recalibrate? Is that a conversation you even have with yourself yet? Or you figure you'll cross that bridge? Or do you think about like, I'll reevaluate in a certain amount of time? Or, or how do you think about your own future? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> that's a great question. Route is the, I, I think the last company um, that I'm going to start ground up. There's so much momentum and, and so many things that we can be doing with this business. The evolution of it gets me very excited so I think once we've kind of conquered one of the, the parts of the company that we're, we're looking at, you know, becoming maybe one of the best in the world that we can start extending the line out. And I think much to your point, if, if we're lucky enough to, to grow in, in a, even a slight kind of fashion, the way that Amazon did, we're going to keep building products out from, from route. There's so much inertia that needs to be created when a company is starting and the resources and building that up from scratch just is a lot of energy. This is the eighth time I've done it. I don't know if I have a ninth in me. So I think this is, this is, you know, my, my final hoorah from, from startup land, but I will never retire. I'm just, I'm just not wired that way. I, I think route's going to be my home base to just keep launching ideas and products out of and just keep it going. Um, we're just having too much fun here. So if I look 20 years in the future, I'm doing exactly that out of this particular company and just building uh, whatever the future looks like at that point. Well, that's exciting to be able to feel like you've got that home that you want to keep. It's it's refreshing. And you know, the biggest thing for me is it's not even the fact that resources are in here. It's the people that I work with today. We have recruited probably the thing I'm most proud about this entire company by far is the people that we've been able to bring together in one place. We have the smartest, brightest, hardest working, friendliest people I've ever seen in, in any company. And I wouldn't want to start that part of it over because I think it's kind of anomalous how everybody came together. Ah, congratulations, yeah. man. That's amazing. Really appreciate that. So everybody should obviously be going to route.com and checking all this out themselves. <laughs> but I just want to say thanks for making the time for this. I think it's uh, really helpful for people to hear you know, what goes on behind the curtain and, and how people like you think to be able to accomplish what you've accomplished. Absolutely. Happy to do this and happy to come back as well. Really appreciate you know the opportunity. Yeah. Open door policy. You're welcome anytime. Awesome. Yeah. Let's do it. We'll make it happen. Bye everyone. Okay. Thanks a lot.